Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and eventually Michael Rand via Zoom. Hi, Ben. Hi, Andrew. We just got done listening to Kevin O'Connell and Kwesi Adolfo Mensa address the Twin Cities media after the Vikings set the initial 53-man roster, made a few trades. It was a busy start to the week for them putting this roster together, and they've made all the decisions that people have wrangled Ringed their hands over, I guess. I don't know which one they wrung over. their hands over. Wrung their hands. Thank you. Yeah. Wrung, wrung their hands over. Um, obviously, they acquired Jalen Rieger from the Philadelphia Eagles. They acquired, wow, Ross Blacklock, defensive tackle from the Houston Texans. We'll talk about those moves, their search for a new third quarterback, and all that we did and did not hear from these press conferences. So, Ben, let's start with the Jalen Rieger trade. The guy that was taken one pick before Justin Jefferson, the Vikings now have the 20th and 21st picks of that draft, or 21st and 22nd, I should say, of that draft. Um, kind of comes full circle a little bit for Rieger, and yeah. the Vikings make the move in releasing Smith Marset to make room for him. So what does that do for Quasi's Vikings? Yeah, I think punt returner certainly is going to be the immediate place where he can contribute. I mean, that is something he's done very well in the course of his career. And I think that's, you know, and Kevin O'Connell said it, he's going to get every opportunity to win that job. They wanted Amir Smith-Marset to do it. They didn't feel comfortable with him there. Obviously we saw it in uh, the, the fumble punt in the, in one of the preseason games. And then just some of the decisions he'd make in terms of where to fair catch a ball versus letting it roll back. I mean, those types of things, as we, I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that's how they're getting evaluated. So the fact that they made this move, I think, is a reflection of how they felt at punt returner as much as anything else. I don't know that this is the easiest place for Dylan Rager to reboot his career simply because the Justin Jefferson comparison is not going to go away. I mean, you are now on a team with him, and, and maybe that allows him to not feel the pressure of trying to put up bigger numbers than Justin Jefferson when you're the guy that was picked ahead of him. But um, yeah, that link between those two guys is not really going to go away. And I, I think Jefferson is aware of that. And I mean, I think we've even heard him kind of talk about that. This is not really fair to this guy. You know, it, he kind of got put on a, a pedestal because he got picked ahead of me and it hasn't worked out. But that doesn't mean that he's not a capable player. So it'll be interesting to see if he carves out a role for himself beyond just the punt returner. I think that's the immediate thing, you know, kind of this year's D.D. Westbrook probably. But, um, you know, maybe an opportunity for a reclamation project. And if they get something out of him, you know, that all the better because that receiver depth is a little a bit of – I mean, and everybody has concerns of little spots of the roster. But beyond wide receiver three, there's not really a lot of proven commodities there. So if, if he can come in and, and earn a role – I. I think there's going to be opportunities for him to do that. Yeah, I think D.D. Westbrook is probably the good comparison because um, I think keeping expectations in check is going to be the important thing. And it's good for Rieger and then he's coming into a place where those expectations aren't going to be high. Come in, be the fourth wide receiver, be the punt returner, um, kind of play a, be a role player, not expected in to come in as a first-round pick and be the guy as he was in Philadelphia, and as they acquired Devonta Smith and acquire A.J. Brown, basically admitting that this guy's not who they thought he was, Howie Roseman in that front office on the field as a receiver, 
Well, good thing is he won't have to play. If everybody's healthy, he's going to be that kind of fourth role player. Um, somebody doesn't have to play a role unless somebody else gets hurt. And so with him just returning punts, yeah, if he has a quiet season, that means he didn't make too many mistakes, and I suppose it'd be successful uh, in terms of the trade. They end up sending a conditional fourth-round pick that could go down to a fifth-round pick, depending on how much – I believe it's how much he plays for the Minnesota yeah. It's usually how those go. They also have the seventh-round pick that they sent to Philadelphia for Rager. They move on from Smith-Marset after he was very up and down, Ben, you pointed out, especially as that punt returner. Um, we heard from O'Connell. We heard from Quasi just today on Thursday of this week after these roster moves. They didn't say a whole lot about the guys they let go. Basically, like Kellen Mond, Sean Mannion, Armand Watts, Smith Marset, they all had great camps. It was just about finding better fits uh, and better options for them on the active roster. Uh, was there one move that surprised you more than any, Ben, among the moves that they had made this week? I mean, the Armand Watts move probably is the one that surprised me the most simply in the sense that he had been looking like the starter there. But that always felt like a little bit of a square peg round hole just because, I mean, yeah, he can play there. But, you know, you saw flashes from him before, but is he ready for 45, 50 snaps a game? I don't know that we had seen that in the past. And, I mean, and there was there were always these guys around here in the past that, it was like, are they really that good or are they getting a lot of pub because the people that picked them want to be right about them? And the people that picked them were heavily invested on the defensive side of the ball, specifically the defensive line. Uh, that's not the case anymore. So I, I think this was a theme throughout the week that you saw. And Quasi did kind of mention that today. He, he threw in a little comment about, um, uh, some of the players that, that, you know, we weren't here when these players were picked or we weren't here when people made certain decisions and uh, we're reevaluating it. We're looking at it fresh. And I, I think that's one of those where you see that. No, there's nobody tied to him. There's nobody saying, I have to be right about this guy or I want to look like I'm the one that developed this guy from a late round pick into the starter. Um, and I, I think that does change some things. Um and, you know, maybe we should have seen that. But the fact that he was getting first team work to the degree that he was, that was a little bit of a surprise to me. And I, they still have to figure that spot out. I mean, Ross Blacklock is going to come in and have a role, but I, is he going to be there all the time? Uh, you know, if he's not, do they feel good about their other options? I think that spot is still very much up for grabs. And everybody keeps talking about Indomitian Sioux. I, I don't know that that's going to be the immediate answer, but uh, I think they do have to figure something out there. Yeah, I do wonder if they'll elevate Jonathan Bullard to that starting spot. That um, could be. He, he had some moments in camp, I thought. Yeah, and, and he'd been kind of the first guy off the bench, at least when Watts was still here. So former Bears defenders, been with Vic Fangio and Ed Donatel before. Um, you would think maybe he's going to be the guy who plugs into that role, and then maybe Blacklock eventually. Um, Blacklock was drafted into the Texans, when they were playing a 3-4, they switched to a 4-3 under Lovey Smith, so that's why they decided to move on from him. Maybe he ends up being a better fit for that job long-term and can take a starting role. But Blacklock was a rotational guy, much like Rager in Philadelphia. Didn't, wasn't, wasn't necessarily a bona fide starter and expected to do a whole lot. So these trades are kind of seemingly just for these role players that they didn't feel like they had on their roster. Uh, speaking of role players, they need a third quarterback after Kellen Mond gets 
claimed by Quasi's former team in the Browns. Kevin Stefanski ends up with Kellen Mond as his third quarterback on that roster. And Sean Mannion decides, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to go sign with the Seahawks on yep. their practice squad. So, Ben, that leaves the Vikings without a practice squad quarterback. No scout team quarterback, essentially. Yeah, and they're going to have to find one. I mean, I, I, Kevin O'Connell said as much today. I think that we will see them end up with a third quarterback here in the not too distant future, simply because you, you need you do need somebody to run the scout team, and you need another guy in the building. You just need another guy to know the offense, so that you're not one snap away from having Nick Mullins with no recourse if he were to get hurt. I mean, you're not going to have a third one active on game day anyway, but you need somebody that can go through the week and get some reps and just be in your building to know your offense. So you're going to see them at a third quarterback. I would bet before the end of the week, I could see it early next week. Um, you got to figure out probably what your, your options look like there, but I, I would be very, very surprised if there's not a third quarterback in here by, you know, the middle of the week as they get into preparations to the Packers. So um, as far as, as far as how that whole thing went down, I mean, yeah, you know, everybody kind of thought Sean Mannion would, would probably still be here in some capacity. I, it seemed a little bit towards the end of camp, like, um, I don't know. There was a bit of a vibe like he was not necessarily wanting to go through that whole song and dance again of I'm trying to earn a spot and get activated from the practice squad and kind of work my way up. And um, he had been here, I think, in a lot of cases because he had a good relationship with Kirk Cousins. He was helpful to Kirk Cousins. And that can keep you around in the NFL if you if you can do that. Um if he was starting to say, I don't really want to just have a spot for that reason. If I, if I'm not that interested in playing that role to the same degree that I have, uh, then maybe they decided, or, you know, probably mutually decided it's time to move on. Um, you know, I, I thought it probably made sense for Kellen Mond to be here developmentally. I mean, you could still say, let's give it more time. The kid's only, 22, 23 years old. So, you know, why not? Actually, I think he's 24, but still young enough that you could develop him and, and maybe make him a long-term backup or, or maybe even better. Who knows? But um, I think the fact that the Browns claimed him was probably not what they were hoping for. I, I think they probably would have liked to have Mond on the practice squad to keep trying to develop him. But the Browns also need quarterbacks. And I'm sure Kevin Stefanski, even though he did not coach Kellen Mond, he knows enough people who did. I'm sure he had a conversation with Andrew Janoko, probably a conversation with Clint Kubiak to say, hey, what's this guy like? And you you kind of know <clears throat> he's familiar with your offense in the sense that the scheme the Vikings had in Kellen Mond's rookie year, very similar to what the Browns run. So that, I'm sure, was part of the Browns' thought process. I'm sure Stefanski had the ability to have a couple of conversations pretty quickly to assess – kind of what Mond is like and what he'll be like in the building and that whole thing. So, um, you know, that's going to be, you know, any, but anytime you put somebody on waivers, as I wrote about the other day, you are saying we are open to the possibility of losing this player. Even if we think we're going to get him through to the practice squad, we are willing to take the risk that we will lose him. And with a quarterback that was taken in the third round, 
there's always the chance somebody's going to say, you know what, uh, we saw enough in this guy, let's give him a shot. So the fact that he was even exposed to that possibility tells you he hadn't done enough to, to secure himself long-term around here. Yeah, Kevin O'Connell still is trying to say all the right things about Kellen Mond at, you know, today, two days after they let him go and saying that he's still got, quote, all the things you look for in a quarterback and that he thinks he's going to have a bright future. But Kevin O'Connell did also say that he didn't feel it was fair to Kellen Mond to put him in the situation right now where he's just one play away from yeah. starting for them or being that guy. And that was so, one of the more telling things I think O'Connell said in that press yeah. conference. Yeah, I, I, would, not- I would agree. And Stefanski is not even doing that, even though he's already on his backup. He's making him Mond, the third guy on their roster. Vikings just opt not to keep three quarterbacks on their roster, trading for Nick Mullins instead. And once again, when asked or when talking about Nick Mullins, the Vikings leadership just keeps pointing to, well, he's played 17 games before. Um, That's the starting experience that they didn't have from either of their backups. And Ben, I found it interesting that Mannion went – to Seattle in a place that probably has the most tenuous quarterback situation. And if, if Manning just cares about playing, he picked the better option in Seattle in terms yeah. of maybe a better shot to play. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, and that's where he came from when the Vikings brought him back last year was, was from Seattle and still the same coach, still the same scheme. So it's an easy fit there. And if he is hoping to play, then yes, that is, is certainly a better option than being here where, the only way you're going to play is if Kirk Cousins is not on the field for one reason or another. Um, yeah, I, I think that's probably what his aim was, is to say, hey, <laughs> I need to try to find a chance to get on the field and you make some more out of my NFL career than the guy that is the confidant of the, the starting quarterback. I mean, you know, and you can make a nice living doing that, but I'm sure it's not the most fulfilling way to to spend your career and feeling like you're getting everything out of it that you could possibly want. So um, yeah, interesting turn of events there. Um, but yeah, they, they have some, some decisions to make with that position. Cause I, I there's just no way, I and mean, we've, we've stressed it, but there's just no way you're going with two. I mean, you may, you're not going to have three on the roster necessarily. It's just, there's no way you're going to only have two in the building. It just, it's not, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, they will add an emergency option at some point, um, as Ben said, probably soon. So as they get practices going for the regular season opener next week against the Green Bay Packers. Um, All right. Well, we should talk about as well the move that they made on the offensive line, where they decided to trade Jesse Davis, a guy who had started the preseason opener for them at right guard, uh, had held down that job throughout much of the spring but they slowly kind of phased him out in August. Ed Ingram started seeing more and more of that first team work to the point where in the preseason finale, Jesse Davis is the one who's playing and Ed Ingram is taking the walkthrough reps with the starters and then setting out of that game with the rest of the starters. So they deal Jesse Davis to the Pittsburgh Steelers for a late round pick swap. They basically anoint Ed Ingram, the rookie as the starter at that spot and income Kenny Clark and the Green Bay Packers uh, to welcome him to the NFL. So, Ben, I said I would have had to have seen it to believe it, them starting a rookie on the offensive line week one. I believe it now because they traded the guy that they were going to potentially start instead. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things where when you take him where they did, and we've said it, that they probably want him to start, but at the same time, he has to go earn it. And he has shown flashes of that in the preseason. He's had some great moments 
at times, but he's also had some moments where he's looked like a rookie. And going in week one against a pretty good defensive front, including Kenny Clark, um, when Garrett Bradbury has had his own struggles, that is going to be a tall order. I mean, I, I think as you come into that game trying to win a line of scrimmage with a rookie and Garrett Bradbury in the middle of that thing, that is a bit of a roll of the dice. And I, I think that the long-term decision, we certainly could see that it was heading towards Ed Ingram being the guy. But week one, that's going to be a tough matchup. I, I think that's one of those things as we're getting ready for this game to keep an eye on because, I mean, Ingram is, is a bigger guy. I think that Bradbury is and, and brings a little bit more ability to anchor, I think, against some of those defensive linemen the Packers have. But the Packers have a better front seven just with more you know, high-end players, more certainly more first-round picks than they've had in a long time. And uh, that matchup, as you know, as, as Packers-Vikings matchups of recent vintage always are, it's going to be a war in the trenches. I mean, that's, that's what you expect from these teams at this point is, uh, you know, when Aaron Rodgers gets in the building, it's about three yards in the cloud of dust, you know, our cloud of uh, particles from the field turf or whatever it is that we'd have. But, you know, that's what we're headed towards, I think. It's one of the 17-14 slugfests that Vince Lombardi and Bud Grant would have would have loved. Um, if they can keep – if, if the, the Vikings secondary can keep the water level that low, I'm sure they'll be happy. Um, all right, let's talk about this roster from kind of 10,000 foot level. Kwesi steps in with his first round of cuts um, down to the 53 and keeps 11 rookies, nine of his 10 draft picks, two undrafted rookies, one of them being the punter, the other one being edge rusher Luigi Villain, who's got a Hall of Fame name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know yet about his play, but they keep him as the fifth edge rusher over the Marius. Robinson. Uh, He's a villainous Luigi, in other words. So have, have there been any like Luigi memes with him yet that we've seen? <laughs> Get on this Vikings Twitter if this hasn't happened. Yeah, we need to see some of those. I haven't seen them yet. Um, but it sounds like a, a character name from like a Fast and the Furious movie. It's yeah. Like a villain. Luigi we'll Villain, it totally does. Yeah. Villain. <laughs> uh, but Quasi cuts with Smith Marsek getting released yesterday, seven 2021 draft picks, keeps nine of his 10 from this spring, and then adds and two, two more for 2020, I believe. And Harrison then adds on once. That's right. And then adds the two undrafted rookies from this year onto it as well. So basically he came in and said, as as he as we pointed out in his press conference, he you know, part of his opener or soon comments that he made when coming to the table were. Um, I wasn't here for some of these evaluations. And I think it was after, <laughs> I think the question was about really about the traded guys that he acquired and basically saying, what were your guys' thoughts, you know, when they were coming out of school and they got the same scouting staff and all that stuff. So, he, you know, he's yeah. basically saying, yeah, I, I wasn't here with all these other guys. So let's talk about what we think now of Jalen Rieger or Ross Blacklock. But it was clear he didn't think very highly of Chaz Surratt, Wyatt Davis, a lot of the guys that were let go from that 2021 class, three of the four third round picks. We, we talked about that as a possibility and it actually happened. Well, so here's the interesting thing there. I mean, Kwesi saying I wasn't here. That, that's true. But as you just pointed out, the scouts were. The, the scouts that in a lot of cases 
stacked that board and drafted these guys were here, which then means one of two things. Either the scouts weren't in unanimous support of the players when they were drafted. And certainly that's been talked about with Wyatt Davis. I think that's probably been talked about with Kellen Mond to some degree as well, or the new front office, the new coaching staff says, no, this isn't, these guys aren't players that we think are going to fit. And then, you know, as a scout, you're probably saying, well, okay, we have to, you know, fall in line or at least kind of shift our thinking towards what the new group wants. I mean, that's just how this works, but uh, it, it is interesting. It, it's hard to make a complete break with those picks because it is not completely a new front office. It is a new general, general manager, certainly, and it's new um, people towards the top of the football operations department with Kwesi Adolfo Mensa. But the scouting staff is the same, and that adds a little bit more of an interesting uh, wrinkle to this whole thing because they really did go after that 2021 draft class that hasn't hasn't produced a lot in some cases. In, in others, it may still give you quite a bit. I mean, I think Kenny Wongu is going to have a chance to have a nice role in this team. Uh, certainly Christian Derrissaw could turn out to be the left tackle for the next 10 years. And if that's the case, then you feel great about that. But yeah, those third round picks, um, other than Patrick Jones, are all gone. And none of the three of them are even on the practice squad. So it tells you the opinion of those players for one reason or another had shifted pretty dramatically, pretty quickly. Yeah. The seven draft picks from a year ago that they let go were Kellen Mond, Chaz Surratt, Wyatt Davis, Janarius Robinson, Amir Smith-Marset, Zach Davidson, and Jalen Twyman. They bring back Twyman and Robinson onto the practice squad. Uh, not the case for Davidson, Smith-Marset, Davis, Surratt, or Mond. And Mond obviously was claimed by the Browns, so the Vikings didn't have a chance to add him to the practice squad. Uh, otherwise, he might have. Um, but yeah, Cam Bynum, Kenny Wongwu, and Christian Derrissaw can still make that class somewhat worthwhile for the Minnesota Vikings. But the way that Quasey came in basically saying, yeah, you know, all those things that you guys kind of liked about him <laughs> entering 2021, uh, me and uh, the new guys here, uh, Washington, and uh, I'm blanking on his name, the Colts GM, the former Colts, Gregson. Brian here. I uh, don't necessarily think that way. So um, I, I thought that was probably the biggest takeaway was just kind of Quasey putting his mark on this roster in that way uh, with the new leadership here. It didn't really matter that that draft capital was spent on these guys just a year ago. Um, they were going to move on from them pretty quickly. Um, well, I think Mike wrote about it too the other day about not really buying into the sunk cost fallacy with why would we draft have to keep them for that reason. There was a lot of that in the old regime. And I think if Rick Spielman was still the GM, this draft class would not look the same. We would not be sitting here with all of these picks out the door. That doesn't mean they're better players. Um, It is easier to move on from guys when you didn't draft them. And that, that is absolutely, for as much as we try to talk about in a perfect world, these decisions are made dispassionately and the best player wins like that's not how this always works if if you're a gm that drafted a guy or gave him a big contract 
your reputation is staked on being right with these decisions because your job's on the line too. You're always being evaluated just like everybody is that you're drafting or signing to a contract. And a lot of GMs, you know, rightly or wrongly, try to or may just it may just be a natural thing. You have an attachment to a player that you like that you saw that you saw something in, and you want to keep. So I mean, you see that happen all the time. It's it's not unique to Rick Spielman. It's not unique to the Vikings, but it did happen. I think on a fairly pronounced level with draft picks getting another shot. You know, guys like Anthony Barr getting second and third contracts. Um, we'll see. We'll have to see this play out in a few years. If, if Kwesi Adolfo Mensa is going to do less of that, if he is saying, hey, yeah, I, I missed on this pick and, you know, too bad, would have loved to hit it, but you got to move on. We'll see if, if he is more uh, of that mindset when it's his own guys that he's having to make decisions on, his own draft picks that he's having to make decisions on in, in a year, two, three years, whatever it is. Um, but, you know, that is a common thing around the NFL and certainly plays into how these decisions get made. It'll be interesting to, to watch a new group and get a little more um, of a, a, a longer window into the whole thing uh, in, a, in a year or two. I think it's interesting. I mean, I think it's, you know, I, I'm str- what I want to know, and I, we probably won't know for a while is how much of this is just kind of the, the nature of the business. I think Ben, you alluded to this in your, in your piece um, you know, about, about Spielman a couple of days ago, which I really liked about just kind of the, how, you know, looking at this from a perspective of, you know, what they're doing right now, exposing some of the shortcomings of those drafts. And what, what's, what I'm curious about is how much of this is just new regime comes in and this is kind of natural, right? Some of the players that were taken before, um, you know, or some of the players on the roster, you're going to have a different opinion of them. You're going to say, ah, you know, I just, whatever they saw in this person, I just don't see in it. And you're just going to make it, that happens anytime a new general manager takes over. But, you know, some of this though, is just how much of this is just, these guys weren't very good. And it was, was it bad drafting or is it just fresh set of eyes? I'm curious about that. And maybe, maybe it's all kind of part of the same swirl, but, you know, with the Mir Smith Marset now, cut in conjunction with the with the Jalen Rager move is that seven now yep. is that seven seven out of the 11 that were, were cut including you know guys that you you thought when they were picked would potentially play some some future roles here you know especially a guy like Kellen Mond you know Wyatt Davis uh, you know Chaz Surratt those third round picks when they take them you're like okay like that you're not like counting on that but you'd like to hit on you know, hit on some of those third rounds. You looked at Kellen Mond's like, Hey, this is a developmental guy to just cut bait with Kellen Mond and have him, you know, sign with another team. He's, he's gone now after, I don't know what, 16 months after he was drafted, however long it's been. Um, you know, that's, that's pretty interesting. It does show me that they clearly had a different idea of, you know, what the talent level was on this roster, how to fix the depth problems at the bottom of this roster. And that, and that Quasi's not going to sit around and give these guys time or, you know, Kevin O'Connell's giving him a, a, a honest evaluation saying, let's just get out of this now and try something else um, as we try to build up this roster, because, you know, there is a lot of depth work to be done here. And it, it, it's pretty interesting to watch, to watch it be done and to watch Quasi make all these trades. Was it four trades in like 10 days? He's a, uh, he's trader Quasi now. I, I think it was, it was that many. I mean, yeah, it's uh, it, it's quite a bit different. I mean, we were talking about it before. Um, it is a fresh set of eyes. The scouting department is the same. 
So there's, there's kind of that wrinkle of the whole thing, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to watch it. And as I wrote that story the other day, I think it was, they'd taken 46 players in their last four drafts under Spielman from 2018 to 2021, including the big 15 player class of 2020. Uh, now, 19 of those 46 players are still on the active roster. And I, you know, a couple of people asked me on Twitter, well, how does that compare to the rest of the league? And, and, you know, I think somebody had done some research on how long uh, picks from certain drafts or certain rounds of the draft um, last. I think maybe the mile high report blog out of Denver had, had calculated this. And, and it was like, yeah, Spielman's kind of middle of the road there, but you know, if he's still the GM, I don't think three of the four third rounders are gone. Um, should they be? That's a different question. And as I think as we both wrote about this week, that was the thing that was regularly a feature of the Spielman regime is giving guys extra chances. Um, one out of four in the third round is not good. No. Of those guys still being around. And especially if, if you have an objective set of eyes that's new, they're not good. If these players are good, you're not going to cut them because you didn't draft them. You're going to say, thank you for the extra talent. We will take it, take credit for developing it and win with it. If you thought these guys were good enough to play, you're going to keep them. So the fact that they cut three of those four feeling like they can't help them is not a good thing. And so I, I haven't done a league wide study of this. I did, however, go look at their week one opponent and the, the standard bearer in the NFC North, the, the Packers, how they've done them over the last four years with these drafts. And it's, it's not that different in terms of the number of players that are still there. They, they took 37 players and I believe 17 of those are still on the roster. But here I think is the big difference. When you look at the Vikings group, you've got Justin Jefferson, certainly at the very top of it. Um, Cameron Dantzler, probably still starting in you know, start a corner. And then you've got four of their five offensive linemen are from those drafts. Brian O'Neill, Christian Darrisaw, Ezra Cleveland, Garrett Bradbury, and as well as Cam Bynum and Irv Smith. So you got eight starters there um, from those 17 that are still around. The Packers from their group, uh, Jair Alexander, Darnell Savage, Elton Jenkins, Rashawn Gary, uh, Josh Myers, John Runyon, Jake Hansen. So a lot of their offensive line as well. Uh, Eric Stokes. Um, I think Royce Newman maybe starts for them on the offensive line as well. But then they've also got contributors like A.J. Dillon, uh, Josiah DeGuara, Omari Rogers. And the, the Vikings have uh, K.J. Osborne out of that group too. But when you look at Stokes, Alexander, Savage, Jenkins, Gary, like that, that's a lot of pretty big contributors for the Packers out of those drafts still on either rookie contracts or still very young. And, that's how you keep yourself sustainable in the NFL. And yes, having a quarterback on the level of Aaron Rodgers helps you do that as well. But, um, you know, part of the thing with Spielman is like, was, was the retention rate fine? Yeah, it's probably fine, but you probably need it better than fine to keep your job. Uh, especially when you hadn't hit on some of the players you were retaining to put you over the top. So, um, you know, it, it's you, he probably needed to be better than middle of the road in his last few drafts, and it just wasn't. Yeah, and you know, just talking about um, you know the sheer number might be similar, but you're talking about impact too. I think mean, if you can look yeah. at like whatever it's average value or however however you want to assess you know a player rating or whatnot, I'm sure the Packers are are, are pretty 
significantly ahead there. And that's part of the reason, like you said, that they have been able to sustain what they've been able to sustain, right? Aaron Rodgers is a big, is a big part of that, but we've talked for three years about how imbalanced this Vikings roster is. And I think that exists to this day where the 10 or 12 best players on this roster are probably as good as the 10 or 12 best players on a lot of rosters, maybe like top five of like all the NFL when you just talk about their top level talent, but there's a big drop off and they're not going to solve that in one year, but that's seems like they're taking much more proactive steps to try to solve that. And, and again, it's not to say everything Spielman did was bad. They had good drafts. They got, they got some good players. 2015 was a, a home run, a bonanza of talent. They've made good picks since then. You can look at Justin Jefferson instead of Jalen Rager. I mean, they, that was a decision they made that if they didn't make that, my gosh, can you think of their roster right now or, or the contributors right now if they had made a different decision there? So they made some good decisions, but certainly getting looked at much differently right now and the depth being addressed differently now. Well, and here's the other thing that we talk about those key contributors, that the, the top level talent on the roster, a lot of it is 30 or yes. 30. They, they still have more starters from the 2015 draft on this defense than they got from the next six drafts under Rick Spielman combined. It's Eric Kendricks and Daniel Hunter from 2015. The only starters still left on this roster from 16 to 21 is Cam Dantzler. So they, I mean, this is how you keep yourself in the mix in the NFL is when the top level talent gets expensive, you draft the cheap replacements. I mean, and you look at the roster, Cousins is 34, Adam Thielen is 32, Eric Kendricks is 30. Daniel Hunter, I think, turns 28 this year, but is, has had injuries. Darius Smith is, is, I think, in his 30s. Harrison Smith is 33. Uh, Dalvin Cook is 27, uh, which is getting kind of to that those last couple of years of a peak level for a running back. Um, I feel like I'm missing some. I mean, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson, Harrison Phillips are, are free agent pickups that are in the late 20s as well. So it's Patrick not, Peterson, obviously the same thing. Yeah. 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 It's it's not a lot of guys who are 23, 24 years old, other than Justin Jefferson, who you say, this is a guy we're going to build around for years. And Darisaw probably, if he pans out, is in that group. Brian O'Neill certainly uh, is in that group as well. But there's not a lot of really good, high level 24 year old talent here and that's where you have to go through this process of okay we got to make some hard decisions because we need to have that young pipeline a young cheap controllable pipeline that's how you keep yourself relevant in the nfl especially when injuries are as big of a thing as they are and they haven't had that for a while which is you know why they're in the boat they're in and they've still got like 220 something million dollars of salary cap liabilities for next year and some of those contracts are going to get addressed and, and we'll deal with that as we go but then you still have dead money. You still have tough decisions to make. All that stuff is these are consequences of not hitting on draft picks, which is why we harp on it and why they're kind of in this spot where the, the new regime has tough decisions to make because of how the last few drafts went for the old one. And Quasi's response to a question today about the salary cap situation of the Minnesota Vikings was to say everybody's got problems. <laughs> no true. money more problems yeah that's true everybody has problems but uh that's well, you know, been here for five years now so you know a guy's relationship is going well hey buddy how's it going well everybody's got problems. <laughs> We've all got problems. <laughs> <laughs> the relationship with the salary cap is you know it's a work in progress 
in Minnesota. It's, uh, continued employment for robbers in Spring Valley. I want to ask you guys of the initial fifty-three man roster that they did put together. We're talking about guys that they kept. Um, what stood out to you, if if anything? What stands out to me is that we heard. Kevin O'Connell had been talking up the Vikings offensive line depth throughout the summer. And then they go ahead and keep 10 offensive linemen on the initial 53 while trading Jesse Davis away. So Ben, Mike, am I led to believe that they had 11 uh, NFL worthy offensive linemen on this uh, Vikings training camp roster? I just want to know how Kevin O'Connell's pronouncement of offensive line depth makes you feel Mike. Do you, do you feel comfortable with the offensive line, when you go to sleep at night, when your head hits the pillow, are you like, "Hey, this is problem solved. I can, I can rest easy." I don't, but it was kind of weird. I did. I don't know when I wrote about this. Everything kind of blurs together. But when I was when I was thinking about Andrew's original kind of fifty-three man roster and kind of where their depth list, I, I I did not put offensive line depth as one of my top five positional concerns. I it is in a dramatic change from recent years i at least feel better about it than i probably have before um i don't feel great about worrying and love the offensive line i guess i mean they put enough (laughs) they put enough they've thrown enough draft picks at it that some of these guys are actually pretty good seems like they have their two tackles seems like guard might be you know if ed ingram is as good as he as good as they hope he is and as good as as he's looked in the preseason and ezra cleveland is still kind of trending upward as a solid pro. I mean, you, you've got at least some anchors there. Bradbury is still a concern. The depth though is the question. And that's why the, that's why the Jesse Davis trade was like, Hmm. Okay. Do you, are you really that set that you can trade a kind of known commodity, someone who's, you know, not, no, certainly not like a all pro caliber player, but someone who can play multiple positions is a veteran has done it before. That was interesting to me, at least, especially when all you're getting is a conditional seventh round pick for like, yeah, they, they must have seen something that made them say, this is just isn't working out. We don't like this guy as much as we maybe thought we did before. Maybe, uh, was it Chris Reed? Maybe he's better yeah. than we were giving him credit for. But yeah, they seem, um, I don't know if they were dealing with from enough of a position of strength to make that uh, a worthy endeavor. Well, I, I think a couple things are worth pointing out there. He had the knee issues and maybe they were more concerned about that than, than he was. I mean, when I talked to him about that earlier in training camp, he said, yeah, I've been managing this for a while and he seemed to feel like it's fine. I can, I can get through it. I just have to kind of go on a a plan to, to manage it. Maybe they were concerned about that. Chris Reed's elbow kept him out for a decent chunk of training camp. Uh, From what I understand, that's completely healed up now. So he's, he should be good to go for the start of the season. I, the other piece of it though, is I think the, the money, um, I, the fact that they saved a couple of million dollars in guaranteed money with Jesse Davis, uh, you have signing bonus parations there still, but it's like a million and a half dollars over the next two years. Not nothing crazy. They, I think, are still needing to consider that when it's him, it's Armand Watts. You saved like four million dollars with those two guys, and there will be other things that they probably do this year. I don't know if they're going to do anything terribly splashy, but they do have to be thinking about that because they are still, like we talked about tied up against the cap next year, you'll have decisions you make on veteran players, but you also have to make a decision on Justin Jefferson in the next 18 months, probably Uh, it's almost, yeah, it's 18 months. So he would become a free agent 
independent of the fifth year option, which they obviously would pick up. But that means that number is spiking, whether it's fifth year option or whether it's new contract. And he is eligible for a new contract after this season. So you have to start budgeting for that if you are going to pay him, which I, I can't imagine they won't. Um, so they do need the dollars. That That is, I think, part of the calculation there, too. And it, it does make it so that you can't keep these mid-tier. We t- we've harped on this for years, but the, the mid-tier veterans are hard to keep when they are set up the way they are and when they have like $19 million in dead money on their cap. Anthony Barr has a $9.8 million cap, $9.89 million cap hit for this season. So, I mean, that, that I still think is, is part of the, the calculus here as well. Are they carrying Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi on their cap this year too? It seems like they <laughs> might as well add them to it. Um, um, who's their Kyle Rudolph's on there. I know who's, who's their If, if, you know, if someone needs a playoff or, or God forbid gets hurt, um, Behind O'Neal and Darisaw, who's the number? Who's the swing tackle right now? Because they cut Udo, don't got, don't have uh, Rashad Hill anymore. And who, who is, it? is it? What? Udo is here. Oh, Udo is here. I'm sorry. Yeah, he was he's part of the, the 19. He's part of the 10 offensive linemen they kept. Um, just what based on based on watching practices and talking to hearing from coaches, I, I would assume it's Blake Brandle at this okay. point. Yeah. He kind of played that extra tackle tight end spot uh, at times last year for them uh, when Rashad Hill was still that swing tackle. But um, I don't know. I I was surprised they kept Udo. I didn't think he had done that well in preseason games or camp in that move back out to tackle. But they keep him as well as the rookie Vidarian Lowe, the six-round rookie at offensive tackle. Um, Well, what stands out to you guys? What else about this 53-man roster? other depth spots seem tenuous. They obviously have brand new depth, a wide receiver and quarterback. Um, that wide receiver depth chart is Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, Jalen Rager, and Jalen Naylor. The other thing that, that sticks out to me uh, is the running back group. I mean, that's where they have a lot of depth. Uh, that group is, is pretty deep with Dalvin Cook at the top, obviously Alexander Madison, who there was a lot of trade interest in over the last couple of weeks that that has been a call they've gotten consistently. I, I just say that to kind of file that away, but then Kenny Wongwu and uh, Ty Chandler both make the team in addition to CJ Ham. So they have five running backs on the team in some capacity or another. I, I bring that up because I think there's a couple of things worth keeping in mind there. Alexander Madison is here and I think they want him to be here, especially because Dalvin cook has gotten hurt. You know, he's missed a couple of games every year. That said, I would keep an eye on that one just because I, I would not be stunned if somebody loses a running back and they get an offer. You probably need that offer to be good enough to, to move you off of whatever compensatory pick you get with him leaving next year, potentially. But I don't think that ship has completely sailed yet. If somebody makes them a good offer in, September, October. We'll have to see if, if something comes up. Uh, the other thing there I would keep in mind is, is this may be a little bit of free fantasy advice for those of you who haven't done your draft yet. Is Dalvin Cook going to have the same workload that he had the last few years under Mike Zimmer when there were a lot of times where we'd be sitting there late in games saying, 
you could give Dalvin a play or two off here and they wouldn't do it. Um, I don't think that's going to look the same. I think you're going to see some of those other guys find roles for you know, eight, 10 plays a game. Maybe uh, it's going to look different every week, I think, but I would not be surprised if it's a little more of a committee with that group this year. And I think that may be the reason they kept all those guys and, and tried to work through that. I, I, I don't know that you're going to see Dalvin Cook have exactly the same number of touches as he's had in the past. And, and maybe you get a little bit more out of him that way. Maybe he keeps him healthier, but um, also not the way he's been used. I don't think it's necessarily the way he wants to be used. I think he likes being the bell cow type and um, it's going to be interesting to watch how that goes. I think their their tight end depth is still non-existent. Yeah. Um, and the the guy they're counting on, we've talked about this before. I mean, Herb Smith has like 66 career catches. I mean, he this is not like, you know, somebody who's got 300 career, you know, receptions under his belt where you're saying, well, this is exactly what we know what we're getting. He's good. He's he's I, I think his his potential is still there, but the tight end depth is non-existent. Um, the interesting move with Armand Watts, I thought was, you know, someone who was trending to be a starter throughout the preseason to just to, to go in a different direction there. I mean, I don't know if you look at a lot of spots on this team and say, I love, I love their depth aside from what Ben said, running back. And, um, maybe they've got some, some edge rushing potential, but you know, I just, there, there's not a lot of, not a lot of places where you say, yep, they're all set there. Um, because it's, it's, it's not great. Going back to Ben's point about Dalvin Cook's usage, um, I was working on a project this past month about Justin Jefferson, and one of the points about Jefferson was an analyst had said, well, I think Jefferson's next step is taking over games in the red zone, winning off the line of scrimmage, being that dominant kind of red zone, end zone threat, the way that Devontae Adams and some of the other you know top flight receivers are. And I brought that up to Jefferson, and he goes, we don't throw at the goal line. So I haven't had a chance to do that yet. <laughs> <laughs> and so he said, I do, think we, do we think Justin Jefferson was happy about the coaching change <laughs> this year? I, I haven't gotten, I haven't been able to pick up on that. Do we yeah, think you right? like, <laughs> I think you might like this new, I, this I new approach might be true. We'll have to see if he does anything but tips his hand on that though. Cause I haven't seen anything yet throwing them more than 50-50 on first down and throwing inside the 20-yard line are going to be revelations of this Minnesota Vikings football team in 2022. Um, and we all know Adam Thielen got his touchdowns, but I think Jefferson's probably going to see a few more of those looks as well, which means probably less running the football with C.J. Ham and Dalvin Cook uh, in some of those areas, but we'll see. Yeah, depth Quicks of the are really effective around the goal line. Say that again? The quick slants are really effective around the goal line. And you have a, a guy who's really good at whip routes. Yeah. Um, you, that seems like something you should use. <laughs> um, depth, though, on this roster, I guess it's the question on every team. But, yeah, I, I just – outside of running back, I don't really see a ton of depth there. And there's even questions about some of these starters. And, and the reason why there's depth – or questions about the depth in the starting spots in the secondary, for instance, is because we have not seen – uh, Lewis scene or Andrew Booth or any of these rookies kind of step up this summer and take those spots. So Cam Dantzler is just one of the big assumptions about the 2022 Vikings is that I think Cam Dantzler, uh, Chandon Sullivan, the former Packers, nickel, those guys are just going to be starters now for, for Minnesota. And Aaron Rodgers comes into town going, I know both those guys pretty well. 
<laughs> he knows Shannon Sullivan and Cam Dancer for different reasons, but yes, he does know both of them fairly well. He does. So I, I don't know. I think you can even go into the, the starting lineups here, and, and there's some questions that are going to have to be answered very quickly for the Minnesota Vikings in 2022. Um, and I guess corner would also stick out to me as well. So uh, is there anything else we did not get to that we should cover? It sounds good to me. I mean, it just, it feels like if we were thinking there would be a little bit of a lull here with kind of this extra week uh, between the preseason and the regular season, they made plenty of news this week. They kept, uh, kept you guys busy, kept us uh, plenty to talk about with with all the moves they made. Yeah, they, uh, they tend to do that. It, it, they can change coaches. They can change GMs. Uh, they are still the Vikings and they are very rarely dull. And with that, we will pick back up on our two episodes per week in the regular season. Packers week already. It's Packers week already. The the Green Bay Packers come to U.S. Bank Stadium on September 11th. We will talk to you uh, about three or four days before then. And then we will talk to you after the game from U.S. Bank. And do what my, my wife tries to tell me sometimes and say less. So I'll say less. <laughs>